Hello everyone, I'm Captain Logan and this is Superhero Rewind. Ninja Turtles film took a number of risks. Doing it live action, having Raphael swear, having a generally more adult atmosphere than the cartoon show, and borrowing most of its material from the comics, which were a parody of comic books written for adults. The sequel abandons all of that for a more kid-friendly dynamic, and while the animatronics still look good, though the design of the Turtles is very different, and the movie is overall well made, the story suffers because it lacks the sophisticated balance of adult-to-kid entertainment that made the first so successful. It seems the studio listened to parents' complaints about the violence in the first film, and as a result, the Turtles almost never use their weapons, though they're usually carrying them, and they act less like ninjas and more like Harlem Globetrotters. Naturally, the first movie wasn't a deep intellectual exercise, but a lot of care went into making it make about as much sense as four mutant superhero turtles can. This movie remembers what came before it, but then tries to get as far away from that as it can and still be considered a sequel. I immediately began scratching my head at the opening fight, when the turtles fight a bunch of thugs in a brightly lit department store and do absolutely nothing to hide their appearance. They aren't wearing trench coats, they don't hide behind things and try to take their enemies out quietly, they just make joke after joke while fighting with yo-yos, sausages, and punching bags. There's no good reason for this, especially since Splinter wants to get out of April's place and back to the sewers as soon as possible before they're spotted. He's still going on about how they don't belong in the surface world and how the humans wouldn't understand them if they knew about them. It's hard to really appreciate the heroes of a story when they blatantly disregard their mentor's advice just for the sake of appealing to a more kid-friendly audience. I also have a hard time buying that Splinter suddenly becomes okay with them revealing themselves to the world at the end after all that talk in the first movie about how they would be misunderstood and feared by the outside world. And the film wouldn't have to be dark just because the turtles have a sense of strategy. I would have preferred the tone of the first movie, but even if a lighter atmosphere was necessary, that doesn't require the dumbing down of virtually every element of the plot. Take the Shredder, for example. He's been reduced from the mastermind who operates a criminal underworld in the shadows to a bloodthirsty madman who wants revenge and is completely confused as to who defeated him. My biggest complaint about the first movie was that the Turtles weren't the heroes. Splinter defeated the Shredder single-handedly. And to add insult to injury, this movie even comments on that fact. In April's apartment, Raphael says they have nothing to worry about because, quote, we took out the Shredder. Leonardo corrects him and says that Splinter took out the Shredder. So when Shredder awakens in a junkyard, having conveniently survived falling into and being smashed up in a trash compactor just so he could be in this movie, why is his only goal to get revenge on the Turtles? What lame villain wants revenge against someone just because they tried to stop your evil organization? Especially since he knows full well that Splinter is responsible for what happened to him. Revenge is a lame villain motivation when there isn't something deeper behind it. It's the convenient, obvious choice for a bad guy with no substance. Right up there with destroying and or wanting to take over the world. The Shredder wants revenge on the Turtles for no other reason than the fact that this is their movie and they need a villain. And even if revenge on the Turtles made sense, I'd love for him to have another villain plan beyond that. 
I mean, what are his long-term goals? Does he want to put the Foot Clan back together once he's defeated his enemies? He goes through a lot of trouble to get the last canister of ooze from TGRI just to make monsters to fight the turtle with. What's he going to do with the rest of it after he's succeeded? Toward the end, he tells the turtles he'll make more mutants, a little oozy at a time. I'm unclear about whether he expects to lose this battle, so he needs more monsters for later, or if he's going to keep making them after the turtles are dead. And even his costume has been reduced to look like something a little closer to the cartoon series. It's bright purple. And he feels the need to sharpen his helmet. I guess just to show that he means business. This is a really fun movie, though. Although I think the turtles make too many jokes and many aren't nearly as clever as in the original, there are some really good ones. I especially like when Michelangelo, after Splinter tells Kino and all the turtles' names, says, All the good ones in to know and then Raphael gets mad at him. I also like the cameo by Stearns, the police chief from the first movie. When April asks him to clarify something off the record, he says, My record on the record clearly shows I have no record off the record. Make a record of that. I just can't hate a movie with dialogue like that. And even not liking Shredder's revenge obsession, I do like his plan to make ooze monsters. Toka and Razor are kind of silly, but I like that Shredder at least tries to step it up a bit. His foot soldiers didn't cut it, so he's trying something new. I love the look of the turtles' new lair. I'd live there too, even if it was in the sewer. I also love how the turtles somehow find time between dealing with the shredder and the foot to make a sign that says, Recycled Dudes. I'm not sure how David Warner got involved with this film, but he's one of my favorite actors and is certainly welcome here as the TGRI scientist Jordan Perry. Though I wish his character had a little more depth, I know that's asking a lot from this movie, but consider that TGRI has had multiple accidents with their ooze, which mutates every living thing it touches. Every time there's an incident, they shut down and set up shop somewhere else. I'd love to see at least a hint of concern from Perry about his career choice. It could have been very interesting if he had a character arc based on the consequences of his work. On the one hand, Azuz created the Ninja Turtles, who fight for good. On the other hand, it fell into the wrong hands and was used to create Toka and Razor. If he was a little more three-dimensional, he might be a little conflicted about this. The Turtles themselves are more proactive in this movie than they were in the last. They at least really do defeat the Shredder at the end, even if it is by blowing out a speaker and then letting Super Shredder fall to his doom under his own massive weight. I do feel the need to point out, however, that when all four are captured and almost killed in a warehouse, Splinter shows up and has to save them with a bow and arrow. In one of the only times in the movie, someone is allowed to use a weapon. Oddly, the turtle with the most screen time and dialogue this time around is Donatello. And while that's cool since he was more in the background in the last movie, his voice is replaced by, in my opinion, one of the worst voice choices I've ever heard. There's a little too much emphasis in the teenage part of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in this movie, and Donatello is the best example. At the same time as his technical skills are played up, he also sounds like a jock and has an extremely irritating laugh that, until recently, I had nothing to compare it to. Watching it now, that laugh reminds me a lot of the annoying orange. In this context, it's more annoying than the orange. And his computer skills seem to just be lifted from the cartoon show, with no explanation as to how he got them. I don't remember seeing a computer in their last lair. I don't think Kino is an especially necessary character, but he's not altogether annoying. I do question where Casey Jones is, considering how close together the events of this movie are to the first. And my guess is he was dropped in favor of a teenage character for the kids in the audience to relate to. Like so many other things, the way he runs into the Turtles the second time, bringing April pizza she didn't order, and seeing Raphael's foot, is pretty convenient. 
It's also too much like a similar scene in the first movie where the turtles hide from April's boss. But having Kino in the film gives Raphael something to do that's very in character. He goes against Splinter's advice and helps Kino with his plan to sneak into the Foot Clan. This is good because it gives Leonardo and Raphael one good scene to butt heads in. I guess you could make the argument that Raphael hasn't learned anything from the first movie, considering there he gets injured because he's ambushed after a big fight with Leonardo, and here he gets kidnapped after one. But it turns out to be the only plan that gets things going. I do find it funny that out of a couple dozen candidates, Kino is the only one to get to the final test. Is this how the Foot Clan chooses all their members? I mean, if it's that hard to get in, how do they have so many? And why are they usually as easy to beat as putties in Power Rangers? In order to truly enjoy this movie, you have to eventually give up on the notion that it's taking itself seriously. The tagline of the first movie was, Hey kids, this ain't no cartoon. Much of this movie is a cartoon, just shot in live action, especially the final scenes. If it's possible for a movie like this to jump the shark, it happens when Vanilla Ice starts singing about the Ninja Turtles. I love how he's apparently making this song up on the spot while the turtles are fighting Toka and Razor. The song is called Ninja Rap. Who told Vanilla Ice they're ninjas? Certainly he can't tell just by watching them. And then, of course, there's Super Shredder. Even sillier than Vanilla Ice is the notion that Ooze gives Shredder bigger spikes in a muscle chest. He's huge, he seems completely unstoppable, and then he just beats himself by making the structure he's standing on cave in on itself. How lame is that? Finally, the film's subtitle is The Secret of the Ooze, and the secret isn't really all that interesting. All the turtles learn is that the ooze came from some company that created it, and it spilled into the sewer accidentally. Not exactly a major revelation, like Luke, I am your father, or I came here on a time machine that you invented. And once again, it's made weirder by the fact that the movie feels the need to comment on it. Donatello tells Splinter he's frustrated because he always expected their origins to be more than that somehow. Nope, just about what you'd expect. But I do like Splinter's response to this when he tells him that their past doesn't negate who they are now and what they've become. Too bad Splinter has to keep solving all their problems for them. I'm giving Ninja Turtles 2 a 1.5 out of 4. It's fun and silly and surprisingly entertaining, despite all the things it might have accomplished had it been allowed to build on its predecessor, rather than trying to feel more like a cartoon. Bye.